The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Live from wherever you happen to be, it's the SNL Hall of Fame Podcast. And now, here's your host, curator of the hall, Jamie Dew. Hello and welcome to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. I am your host and curator, Jamie Dew, and I'm uh, under the weather. I've got COVID-19, uh, probably the Omicron variant because I'm a tastemaker and I like to make sure the sicknesses I get are always the latest and greatest. So there's that. Wipe your feet before you come in. I don't want any more germs in this place than is absolutely necessary. I'm going to get quick and right to the point here and uh, jump right in to the interview that I conducted some time ago with Thomas Senna, who you've uh, probably seen on the SNL Network if you follow other SNL podcasts. He does some great work over there doing analysis uh, on the roundtable shows, and I believe he's been on the trivia show as well. So he is an aficionado. He's also, of course, appeared on this show where he very thoughtfully and articulately uh, nominated Chris Farley to the ballot, uh, to the Hall of Fame on the ballot in uh, earlier this season. Um, he did a great job, and uh, I'd be shocked if Farley doesn't make it. This week is going to be a little tougher, however. This is the musical guest category. And we are nominating a two-time performer. So, you know, that, that uh, right off the bat, that is a strike against most bands. Two times is the minimum number of times you can have appeared on SNL to qualify for entry into the Hall of Fame. Um, but this band did it in a way that they did most things. They did it like a lightning flash. It was thunderous. It was quick, it was cacophonous, and then they were gone. And that, of course, is the band Nirvana. So Nirvana will be nominated on this episode by Thomas Senna. Let's get right to that interview. Uh, I know you're waiting for it. And next week, my voice will be back. I'll talk to you then. heard the news that Kurt Cobain had um, passed? I was in seventh grade uh, and a huge Nirvana fan. So that was my 
really Nirvana and Pearl Jam were my introductions to rock music. I had primarily listened to whatever my parents were playing. My dad liked Motown and my cousins liked to listen to hip hop and stuff. But like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were my introductions to more guitar based music. And I was a huge Nirvana fan, a seventh grader listening to to Kurt Cobain sing about whatever Kurt Cobain wanted to sing about. So I don't, I, I, I'm probably in seventh grade, probably just at home and it came up on the news or something. And that really crushed me. Uh, even, yeah, even yeah. as a seventh grader, I wasn't necessarily surprised by the news. Um, but it still was really hard. And I remember going to school the next day and that being what all my classmates were talking about. There was just a bunch right. of us middle schoolers who were all big Nirvana fans, uh, talking about Kurt Cobain dying. And of course people started coming up with conspiracy theories and things like that. But that was, that was a really, uh, memorable, I guess, celebrity death that impacted me, um, when I was a kid. Uh, I remember a a girl signing my yearbook at the end of that year and she signed off, um, with Kurt forever. Uh, so she was obviously really? a big Nirvana fan and Kurt fan too. And that's just how much it permeated throughout um, the school that I went to in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Well, I mean, I was in well, I was in Waterford, uh, Canada, small, small town, 2,500 people. And I don't know whether or not like when the news broke, um, but it always feels like it was after school. To yeah. Me. Like it was, it was something that happened after school, but that must be just when we got home and got the news. I, right? yeah, I think, like, yeah, exactly. Like we w- we wouldn't have necessarily found out about it while we were at school, unless it was that's right, John F. Kennedy. How they found out about it at school, but we wouldn't have found out about something like that at school. So I so I think I'm with you there. I, I must have found out about it when I got home from the school, um, but I don't know when it happened. But yeah, that was that was a really memorable time in my life. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a flash. If you were somebody who happened to be with it and got bleach when it came out in 89, good for you. Uh, which if you you say you are, you weren't (laughs) probably, (laughs) that's, that's probably true, but, um, nevermind of course came out Mm -hmm. in, uh, 1991 and in September of 91 and it went to number one in January, which coincides with their performance on SNL. Yes. And I have to think that SNL really helped push them into that mainstream. If you think of a marketing curve, you know, and you think of the early adopters and then the, you know, the the rest of the people and then the mainstream getting on board, I feel like that's... That's January or February of 91 uh, the, I, uh, or pardon me of, of 92. Sorry. Right. Exactly. And, uh, they showed up on SNL. What was it? Uh, the beginning of January 92. Yeah. January 11th, 1992. January 11th. They, there you they, go. Yeah, and they, they, showed up they performed SNL. two tracks and kicked all our asses <laughs> they with did. those two tracks. So Thomas, what do you have to say about Nirvana and the SNL hall of fame? I think, they were a really interesting case for SNL in that you rarely see 
a musical performer go on SNL that coincides as much as it did, like with what you were saying with how popular they got. I think SNL caught Nirvana at first at the exact pivotal moment and whether it was like, it's a kind of a chicken and an egg sort of situation maybe, but that rarely happens in SNL history where a band goes on and then all of a sudden they're the the biggest rock band in the country. That's when you can pinpoint that in music history as when bands like Poison and Cinderella and all of those bands and to a certain extent even Guns N' Roses were kind of pushed to the side for this new genre of guitar-based rock music. And their appearance on SNL was so perfectly synced up with that moment in their careers that to me, it kind of, it does go hand in hand. Uh, and I think it was a very symbolic thing for the band to be on SNL because they were reluctant rock stars, especially Kurt Cobain. They were very reluctant rock stars. And I think they most likely viewed something like Saturday Night Live as a symbol of what something that they didn't necessarily want to be or be a part of, which was really corporate, you know, mainstream, uh, and, and all of that. So I think not only was it pivotal as far as SNL being able to catch a band like that, it was pivotal for Nirvana and symbolic for Nirvana as far as being on this mainstream show and being ushered in to the mainstream whether they were ready for it or not. And decidedly, obviously, in Kurt Cobain's case, he was not ready for it. Um, the other guys, probably even, maybe more so, but definitely in Kurt's case, he wasn't ready to be thrust into the limelight. And SNL played a pivotal role in thrusting them into yes. that limelight. Now, do you remember if you were watching live that night, January 11th, 1992? I don't think I saw it live, um, but it, but I definitely saw it pretty soon after uh, after that. Um, it was a point in my life where I was getting more into rock music and guitar-based music. So I started listening to Metallica and Guns N' Roses and things like that. So, so I was kind of being introduced to Nirvana around that time. Uh, so not long after uh, um, their first performance on SNL, I did see it. And uh, you had mentioned that they that they definitely ravaged the stage uh, during that show. And so I do remember them uh, starting off with Smells Like Teen Spirit.
I remember them kind of... For better or for worse, it's what defines it them, It does right? define them. Um, obviously, you know, I don't want to be the be the snobby uh, Nirvana or music fan. There obviously are better songs, but I do genuinely, to this day, enjoy Smells Like Teen Spirit. Right. So they opened with Smells Like Teen Spirit, and they were, you know, maybe, if my memory serves me correctly, a little more, I mean, they just kind of played it and were a little more subdued, but then they played Territorial Pissings. <laughs> and that's that's where the the more kind of i'm gonna stick it to the man or whatever yeah. side of nirvana came yeah. out they just kind of tried to destroy their equipment dave grohl threw down his drum set um i think kurt maybe kicked a uh, kicked one of the monitors. He's smashing the or, head of his guitar into the into the stacks. To the stacks, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was kind of their way, like destroying that equipment was definitely kind of it was their way of acting out, I guess, and saying, you know, we still have the power to do this and act like punk That's rockers, right. or even though we're on this mainstream sort of uh, in our eyes mainstream sort of corporate show. Um, we still are able to do this, so we're going to kick gotcha. the stacks. And that's how I felt about it. Too. Yeah. So I, I mean, I did. I mean, I appreciated um, that and uh, the fact that they were trying to uh, still trying to hold on to some of their roots and their identity uh, in that way. Um, I think this was the episode two during the Good Nights where Chris Novoselic and I think Dave Grohl like leaned in and started kissing each other um, yes. as like a defiant <laughs> sort of thing. In, in retrospect, that's kind of a silly thing. Like, oh, we're going to throw a middle finger to to SNL, to the mainstream and, and kiss each other or whatever. But, you know, I'm sure yeah. they had <laughs> their own good intentions um, at the time. Uh, so the, that was, that was my memory of, of that first performance and, uh, now, the second performance is... It's in September of 93. We were all very excited about the fact that Nirvana was going to be on and that it was the premiere episode. Sure. Like, it was the premiere of the season. Uh, I guess that's uh, season... Blah, 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 season 20? That's... I don't even know. 18, maybe? Season 18? Yeah. I always okay. remember season 20 because it season was 19. the... I've got it written down right kind here. of bad season 19. Season, that makes sense. Yeah. And they did Heart Shape Box... And rape me from the in utero record, which was brand brand spanking new. Yes, like two years between records, even is is pretty staggering. Now, you know, when we look at bands that take five, six years between records, exactly. Yeah, that was a pretty um, fairly quick turnaround, I suppose. And yeah, um, the thing about in utero too uh, is that was an album that Nirvana made purposely. They tried to make it abrasive and inaccessible. Because they were trying to, again, like, you know, we were talking about their first performance on SNL. They were trying to, like, push back against the mainstream or whatever. And, and they felt uncomfortable being famous. Within Utero, their intention was to make something that would make people uncomfortable and to be less accessible. Uh, wow. Yeah, so they purposely tried to make it abrasive and all of that. And uh, I think it's a fantastic album in utero sure uh, is is really great and especially the two songs that they picked heart shape box was was getting radio play um strong radio play uh, at the time and um uh, and on on mtv when they used to play 
music videos. Um, the heart shaped <laughs> box uh, video got a lot of uh, uh, airplay on MTV as well. So they were really in the throes of, of, of being famous. And um, I think that was an interesting time to obviously uh, being on SNL while still trying to, uh, trying to stick it to the man or whatever, which may, I think is kind of funny in retrospect, like, you know, they're, they're so defiant and want to be so abrasive, but then they're saying just like, yeah, we'll go on SNL. Let's do SNL. Sure. Again. Like it's <laughs> and, and you also have to think, you also have to think the way they went out after their first performance by trashing the stage and, you know, you know, sort of doing that stunt at the end with the kissing. Um, the fact that they were welcome back, you know, for in a in a highly coveted spot of the premiere episode, yeah. ultimately felt it was there in their best interest to to ask Nirvana back, and for good reason. They were they were the most popular rock band in the country, uh, which is weird to think yeah. about that they were only really they released Nevermind in September of ninety one, and yeah. Kurt passed away in April of ninety four. That's right. So it was only what, two and a half years a that bright burning, flame. bright burning flame. Exactly. Um, and going back to their first appearance, another thing that really sticks out to me um, as far as why it was pivotal for Kurt Cobain, especially was, I don't know if you knew this, but after the show, he skipped the after party and no, I didn't know that. And he actually overdosed on heroin in his hotel room. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. He, so I don't know if it's just, I mean, he was just caught, he was definitely caught up in his addiction. I don't know if being on Saturday night live triggered something. Maybe he felt like he was going too fast in his career or being a, uh, somebody who was famous, but he, he did actually skip the after party and OD, uh, in his hotel room in New York. Holy shit. Yeah. So that was definitely like a memorable pivotal moment mm. for him in the band. Um, as well. I mean, we, we were we were gonna make this <laughs> discussion a little morose, but there's your there's your morose tidbit there. Um, yeah, the first season. But I mean, they had Kurt. Kurt had demons, and he was and and becoming famous wasn't the best thing for him. Um, and just being on Saturday Night Live was, I think, very symbolic of of that transition from just being a guy from from the suburbs of Seattle, Washington to a superstar and him wrestling with that SNL plays a, a big role in that. And to this day, man, I, I love Nirvana. Um, Unplugged in New York is when they talk about what desert Island albums, record. like the three albums you would take to a desert Island with you. Unplugged in New York is one of those three albums for me. I think Nirvana belongs in the SNL hall of fame because of the sort of symbiotic relationship that they had with the show and what the show represented that not a lot of musical guests before or after have had. I mean, SNL was so symbolic to their career. Um, I, I mean, and just the way that just when SNL got them to perform, that doesn't always happen. If you look at recent examples, I mean, I'm not a fan, but BTS apparently is a huge act. But SNL already got them when they had made it big. 
you know, it's rare that SNL will get somebody and then like a week later they become the most popular band uh, in the world. So I think just that sort of relationship as far as what SNL did for Nirvana and what Nirvana did for SNL and just all the symbolism that exists with Nirvana being on a show like SNL. And then they did have the memorable on-camera moments of of destroying their equipment and kissing during the good nights. I mean, think about the the last 45 or so years of SNL. I mean, which musical guests do you really remember for like acts that they did on stage? I mean, Sinead O'Connor immediately comes to mind. Um, Nirvana, but there's only maybe a handful of musical guests that really do something on stage that leave leave some sort of mark, but also have a symbolic relationship with the show and also are on the show as their careers are at the most pivotal points maybe of their entire careers. So I think it was just everything came together um, for Nirvana and Saturday Night Live. And just like that, another week of the SNL Hall of Fame is in the books. That was Thomas Senna really uh, doing a great job there with painting a picture about an iconic band. You know, an iconic band here 30 years later, we're still talking about iconic performances and iconic albums. And Nirvana, you know, they, like them or not, they they left an indelible mark. Did they leave an indelible mark on SNL? Did they contribute to the legacy of the show? Well, that will be for you to decide as a voter when voting opens on the 25th of April, 2022. That's right. The dates have been confirmed. April 25th, 2022 is when voting will open. And you as a voter will have between zero and 10 votes to cast between all the nominees that exist. Nirvana being amongst them now. They are on the totem. So there's that. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope my voice wasn't too aggravating at the tops and bottoms here. Uh, That's really all I have for you, except for one favor, please. On your way past, turn out the lights, because the SNL Hall of Fame is now closed. Thanks for listening to the SNL Hall of Fame podcast. You can find everything you need to know about the show at snlhof.com. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. This is Doug Denant saying, this is Doug Denant saying, see you next month in the hall. and such.